0: Welcome to the Denton's Employment and Labour podcast. In a series of podcasts, the Denton's Employment and Labour Group will discuss the latest employment issues impacting the Canadian workplace and offer our guidance during these challenging times. I'm your host, Allison Walsh. I'm a partner in the Denton's Employment and Labour Group, and today I'd like to welcome back to the podcast my colleague, Christina Wendell, to discuss family status accommodation and COVID-19. Christina is also a partner in the Employment Labor Group based in the Edmonton office. She has a broad labor and employment practice with a specialization in occupational health and safety issues. Thanks for joining me again today, Christina.
1: Thanks, Allison. It's great to be here again.
0: Christina and I are going to discuss employer family status obligations under human rights legislation. With schools reopening under new health measures, including the option to enroll children in online learning as opposed to in-class attendance. This has raised questions about an employer's legal duty to accommodate parents balancing childcare responsibilities. In particular, employers are asking if they have to accommodate an employee because that employee has chosen to enroll their child in online schooling. Similarly, employers are asking what is their legal duty if an employee's child cannot attend school because either The child doesn't pass a COVID-19 screening requirements or perhaps has been sent home if there is a case of COVID-19 in their class cohort or even school-wide. And although most of the issues that we are hearing in the media are focused on the parent-child accommodation, family status accommodation can also include elder care obligations and other family relationships. And these are all issues that potentially trigger an employer's family status, accommodation, obligations.
1: Absolutely. And as with many other issues employers and employees have faced since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, we're applying familiar concepts like accommodation and family status protection to an entirely new and unprecedented situation. It'll be really interesting to see how the law develops in these areas over the next little while.
0: And, in particular, it will be interesting in the context of family status because this area of law, even before COVID-19, is still a developing area of law and there is a certain amount of uncertainty. And although all jurisdictions across Canada prohibit discrimination on family status, depending upon the province or territory of employment, there are different definitions as to what family status is. So for example, in Alberta, under the Alberta Human Rights Act, family status is defined as the status of being related to another person by blood, marriage, or adoption. So this would cover childcare obligations, elder care obligations, as well as obligations involving different types of relationships, so spouses, cousins, grandparents, aunts and uncles, and even in-laws. Conversely, we see in Ontario, the Human Rights Code defining family status to be the status of being in a parent and child relationship. So this would include child care obligations as well as elder care obligations where the child is caring for a parent, but it's not as broad as what we see in Alberta. And then in other jurisdictions such as BC, family status isn't even defined in the legislation. Therefore, what constitutes a protected family status ground will vary depending on the province or territory where the employee is working. And similarly, the test for establishing whether there has been family status discrimination also differs between jurisdictions.
1: That's right. And as if this all wasn't confusing enough, the human rights tribunals and courts apply different tests to establish a prima facie case of family status it really does depend on which jurisdiction you're in. The Supreme Court of Canada last year had the opportunity to perhaps settle the test once and for all uh, when a family status case from BC came before it, but it refused the application for leave to appeal. So here we are with the varying tests across the country. On that note, the tests differ between jurisdictions in terms of the various components that are necessary to trigger a prima facie case of discrimination. Some of those differences include The level of family status, so whether it's a legal obligation, responsibilities, or a substantial family duty or obligation. The level of adverse impact required to trigger a claim, so whether it's a significant negative impact or an interference that's more than trivial. And whether the complainant's efforts to resolve conflicts between work and family obligations are considered as part of the prima facie test, or deferred to the stage of the analysis where we're looking at the BFOR, or bona fide occupational requirements.
0: And we're not going to go into a comparison of these different prima facie tests today. However, I think it's fair to say that the common ground between these tests involves distinguishing between an employee's need versus an employee's want or preference.
1: Yes, I would agree that that's a fair comment of the uh, common ground between the tests.
0: And in this light, I think the first thing that employers need to consider when an employee requests family status accommodation is exactly that, whether this request is a need or a personal preference. In order to make this analysis, employers need to obtain relevant and reasonable information from their employees about their family status needs. This information would include what specific circumstances regarding childcare or elder care, for example, is preventing the employee from coming into work. If it is a medical reason preventing the employee from coming into work, employers should be flexible about requiring medical notes, although an employer can ask an employee for reasonable medical information. However, specifically requiring a medical certificate would likely not be viewed as reasonable by the Human Rights Commissions, particularly given the current concerns about overburdening the healthcare system in light of COVID 19.
1: That's right. And employers can also ask why the employee made the decision not to send the child to school. Is there something unique about the child or family situation behind that? Employers can also inquire about what other supports or options are available for childcare. Are there other caregiver options? Although again, those are going to look a little different in the COVID-19 world than they did before. These questions will help identify a situation where the parent doesn't want to send the child to school because of COVID-19 concerns, but there isn't any unique medical or health reasons for not sending the child to school that requires accommodation. Thus, it would be considered a preference or a want versus a need.
0: And as you noted, Christina, One of the key issues that arises in these family accommodation situations is the issue of whether there is alternative caregiver options. Depending on the province or territory of employment, the employee's efforts to secure alternative caregiving arrangements may be considered as part of the prima facie test to establish whether there has been family status discrimination, or alternatively as part of the defense to a case of discrimination when assessing the employee's obligations to cooperate in the accommodation process. In general, employers, however, should be exploring alternative arrangements with their employees, such as daycare, babysitters, is there another family member that can assist, such as a spouse, parent, or older sibling. However, as you pointed out, Christina, obviously the same caregiver options may not be available in the current COVID-19 reality.
1: Exactly. So, for example, if the child's at greater risk for health reasons, and so there's a medical basis for not having the child in school, then obviously daycare is not going to be a reasonable alternative option. Similarly, if there's a grandparent who would otherwise be the go-to babysitter, if that grandparent happens to be within the age category that makes them more susceptible to COVID-19 or they have other health issues, then it's likely not reasonable to expect them to fill in as a babysitter if they could end up being exposed to greater risks. Or, for example, if a child is sent home from school because they've shown some symptoms or there's a greater risk that they've been exposed to COVID-19, then the child must isolate. The parents won't be able to make use of childcare alternatives outside the home, such as daycare, and they also won't be able to bring someone into the home as a babysitter. As such, employers really have to be more flexible when considering what options and alternatives are available.
0: If there are no realistic alternatives, employers then have to consider the nature of the accommodation that they should be providing to their employee. And this will really depend on the nature of the employee's work. So the first question employers will need to consider, particularly in the current climate, is whether the employee's work can be performed from home. If the employee can perform meaningful and productive work from home, the employer may need to accommodate the employee's absence from work by allowing them to continue to work but to do so from home. And this is true even if the employer's operations are open and the employer is requiring its employees to attend the office. Given how the pandemic has shown that employees can successfully work remotely, if the employee can perform meaningful and productive work from home, employers will likely be required to provide this type of accommodation. However, it is important to stress that the employee has to be able to meaningfully and productively work from home, and so it isn't every job that is going to be suitable for remote working. And obviously, frontline jobs, such as jobs in retail, construction, healthcare, and other situations cannot be performed from home. And in these situations, alternative type of accommodation arrangements will have to be offered by
1: employers. Yes, in those situations where employees can't just work remotely, then employers may need to look at things such as adjusting the employee's schedule, their start and or end times, or their shifts. So, for example, if the employee is able to coordinate childcare with a spouse. In some situations, however, there will not be much that can be done by way of accommodation to keep the employee actually working if they are required to stay home and care for children or other family members. In those situations, the only reasonable option may be to allow the employee to take a leave of absence.
0: And if an employee can only be accommodated by being given a leave of absence, Um, Would you agree that an employer would not be obligated to pay an employee in this situation when they're on a leave of absence?
1: That's right. At least in Alberta, based on the current legislation. So while there are job-protected leaves in the Employment Standards Code of Alberta that the employee may qualify for, for example, those are all unpaid. Now, if an employer is contractually agreed to provide a paid leave, then they will be obligated to do so, but that's something that will depend on the specific terms agreed to between the employer and the employee.
0: Overall, I think it's fair to say that family status accommodation can be challenging and often a sensitive issue for employees. However, employees do have to be willing to participate in the process which includes accepting reasonable accommodation even if it's not the employee's preferred solution. As such, it's important in these situations to try and manage any potential conflict, and one of the best ways of doing that is to engage the employee in a conversation. Accommodation is a personal process that will differ on a case-by-case basis, and it is important for you as an employer to understand the challenges the employee is facing which will assist you in determining whether the employee has a genuine obligation to provide care, and if so, what care and what options can you offer that
1: employee? Absolutely. And as we're seeing with issues surrounding COVID-19, things are constantly changing, and employers do need to be prepared to keep an open mind and be flexible when considering questions of family status accommodation. The fact that there continues to be some uncertainty due to the lack of a uniform test for family status across Canada combined with the uncertainty surrounding COVID, reinforces the need to be flexible and recognize that what may have worked in a request for accommodation a year ago will not necessarily work in the current environment.
0: Thank you for joining me today, Christina. It has been a pleasure speaking with you. And thank you to everyone for joining us today. And we encourage you to reach out to us or your local Denton's Employment and Labour Council with your employment questions including questions on family status accommodation. Dentons is a global legal practice providing client services worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. This episode is not designed to provide legal or other advice and you should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Please see Dentons.com for legal notices.